Welcome to Become an Idol. This is Episode 3, Stakeholders, Who They Are and How to Work with Them. I'm your host, Dr. Robin Sargent, the owner of Idol Courses. This is a place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. In this episode, I'll be chatting with Melanie Aiken about the stakeholder role in corporate training projects. We cover everything from who the decision makers are to how to deal with your ego when you get stakeholder feedback and critiques. the pleasure of having on the podcast today, Melanie Aiken. And I first met Melanie when I started at Sea Beyond, which is now called Birch Communications, as an instructional designer there. And Melanie was actually the learning and development business partner. And we'll get more into what that means. And now she is the VP of Performance Effectiveness for Inside Sales at iHeartMedia. And so that is just a little background about Melanie and how I met her and we've just continued to stay in touch and uh, and now we're friends but I wanted to bring Melanie on to talk about the stakeholder role in corporate training projects and in that environment so Melanie could you tell our audience like who you are and what you do and a little bit about yourself yeah happy to do that um, I started my career in sales and relatively quickly moved into a uh, learning and development role as a trainer. And you know, through that experience and, and moving through the ranks in the learning organization at Sea Beyond, where Robin and I met, um, one of the things that I got to experience was working with stakeholders. And now in my current life, I actually function as a stakeholder, oftentimes on projects and still Sometimes I'm actually still working with stakeholders, so I'm excited to tell you a little bit about that experience and, and help put together the importance of, of the role that a stakeholder plays in a project for you. Right. So when we say stakeholder, what what exactly is a stakeholder on a training project, and 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 why are they important? Sure. So a stakeholder, it can be a couple of different things. It can be an individual person, it can be a team, or it can be like a whole division of, of people. And usually they have some type of vested interest in the successful execution of that training project. And, and by vested interest, we mean they've got some right to care about it and they probably have some skin in the game. You know, and that can mean that their group is impacted by a certain change that's coming and, and that group is requesting training for addressing that need, or it could be, you know, a new product that a product team within a, a company is going to launch. And now they want to make sure that all the sales divisions know how to sell it effectively and all the operations folks know how to install it. So it, it can take a lot of different forms and, and shapes in terms of what a stakeholder is, but ultimately it's who asked for the project and who has the skin in the game in making sure that the work is completed and executed and ultimately the objectives are met for that project. That's good. So for instance, a stakeholder could be someone who is a manager in a department that brings a training need, or it could be a product manager or an executive or any of these people. 
yeah, I mean, it could be the leader of a sales organization who realized that you know, their sellers don't know how to execute this particular step of the sales process. They could come with that. It could be an operations team owner who has a new system that they're going to be implementing or transitioning to uh, in the next six months, and they want to go ahead and, and plan and train for that. So, like you said, there's a lot of different ways it can show up. So, when usually do, does an instructional designer, in your experience, come into contact with the stakeholders about creating training? A stakeholder is usually the one who's reaching out with the request for the project. Sometimes they may have a project champion who does that on their behalf. Um, they just know that, hey, this needs to be, this particular objective needs to be accomplished. It needs to be accomplished through learning and development, and I'll have my you know, project champion run with it, which we haven't mentioned yet, you know, because a stakeholder is one of the key players in the project, but you've also got a couple other kind of secondary characters that are really helping out, like your project champion and your subject matter expert. Unlike a stakeholder, a project champion, their role's a little less formal in nature, and a lot of times it's really focused on driving the project success. And that means through, you know, removing obstacles that come up. So if for some reason, say, you need assistance getting sign-off on the project plan from the stakeholder. The project champion can help with that. Or say your subject matter expert, who is typically going to be, you know, the person who knows the most about the topic of that training or the initiative or whatever the objective of that training project is, your subject matter expert is going to be like the go-to person who knows the most about it. And if you're really lucky, you might have more than one subject matter expert. The project champion and subject matter experts are, are really there to also help facilitate success for that particular project. Right. And so usually in my experience, whenever uh, we start with the stakeholder, you, your first meeting usually is with the stakeholder to get ideas about like, what is it that they want their learners to learn and things. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and what's in, the other part that's really important about that is they're also the ones who are going to judge success of the project. And so it's important that they're in that first meeting because they're going to tell you exactly what they hope to see in order to sign off on the project at the end of it and say, yep, great job. That was exactly what we needed. So that, in, that first meeting is critically important because they're the ones who know exactly what the objective is usually. And is there some tips that you have about setting the tone from the very beginning with that first meeting with your stakeholder or stakeholders, if you will? What are some of your tips for that? Well, I have a few, and a lot of it I actually pull from my sales background and from my coaching background because I'm also a certified professional coach. And it's, it's really in that initial stakeholder meeting, not only are you trying to understand what they want to accomplish, but you also want to understand kind of what their expectations and preferences are in how you work with them. So, you know, I, I go back to asking just how would you like me to contact you? How often do you want to be contacted? You know, do they do better with impromptu contact or would they prefer to have something scheduled for you know, the different check-ins and milestones? You know, everybody has different preferences and, and different corporate environments are, they're going to vary across the board. You're going to find some that are really meeting heavy and it's hard to get time with that stakeholder. And then you'll find others that, you know, are, are really accommodating. So that's why on, on the front end, I like to have that conversation about how can we work as seamlessly and, and pleasantly as possible together or as effectively as possible together. 
Right. And a lot of times you also have to get approval from your stakeholders as far as your timelines go. Yes, yes, that's an important part of the process because as you, you know, are creating an initial statement of work and, and putting that in and, and creating your timeline and milestones and all of that, they're going to give you your end date and, and you're just going to be most likely working back from them and then understanding how they want to work with you and what their availability and kind of how all of that works. It's going to help you design a, a, a timeline that's going to be something that they can meet you in the middle with. Uh, instead, of, it, it makes no sense to have a timeline that has all these rigid checkpoints and meetings if you're dealing with a stakeholder who has extremely limited availability and they really function better off of, you know, emails with fewer meetings. So those are the types of things that you want to take into consideration. That's excellent. And so also stakeholders are also kind of the people who set a lot of the boundaries as far as resources and just like you've already mentioned time, but even budget too, I've found. Absolutely. They will be the ones giving you your budget. They'll be the ones either authorized to sign off on the budget or doing the legwork behind the scenes in their corporate environment, getting the approvals to execute that budget. So we kind of already touched this on this a little bit about the first meeting, but what are some of the things that instructional designers and the e-learning developers can do when they need to interact with the stakeholders after that first meeting? What are some like best practices you found? I would say, you know, definitely honor the communication preferences that they have shared with you. That's a great way right off the bat to indicate that you were listening. And then beyond that, just making sure that, you know, communication is concise and, and very clear and crisp so that it's something that they can read easily. A lot of times, you know, your stakeholders are, are juggling multiple projects. They may actually be leading a couple that have them very busy. So it needs to be easy for them to respond to you and to interact with you as much as possible. And the other big thing is just the expectation setting in that first meeting on that level of frequency. But after that, as long as you are, are honoring what you guys were agreeing, agreed to, I would also recommend um, potentially checking back in, you know, agreeing that, hey, I'm going to follow up with you midway through and just make sure that this path of communication is, is still working for you. Just having an open door communication policy with that client so that you're fully accessible. These are all good tips and information. And so also, whenever you're usually talking to stakeholders, in my experience, you're bringing them some kind of piece of the project, right? So you're bringing them either like, this is what our outline looks like. This is what our full scripts look like. This is what a storyboard looks like. How much of, you know, involvement is something that you prefer? I know from the instructional designer point of view, we want you know, checkoffs at every single stage because it sucks to get to the end and then you have to rework the whole training plan. Right, right. Yeah, one of the things to help avoid that, a question that sometimes people don't think to ask, it's really important to ask is, who else are you going to be sharing this with? Who else are you going to be getting input from? Because, and this is also true in sales, you, you do need to know how many hoops you're going to have to jump through in order to get to a, a signature, whether it's on the statement of work or, you know, the check to pay you. So understanding that's an important part of the process as well. That's right. Because sometimes you'll think that you're only needing to share it with one stakeholder and then you find out later down 
the path that, oh, I also need to get, you know, this other VP to agree with me that this can move forward. And then you've hit, you've ran into a new stakeholder that you didn't expect to be on the project. And, and now they've come to you with all these questions. Right. But if you understand that up on the front end, you can build it into your timeline to where you know to build in enough time for two people to give reviews. And you know, it also gives you the opportunity, if it makes sense in that particular situation, to reach out to that kind of secondary stakeholder, provided your primary stakeholder has given you, you know, I guess, the okay to do that. You obviously want to be conscious of those relationships and boundaries and not go over them um, unnecessarily. But it, that's certainly a real possibility that you may need to actually engage with them too, almost as like a secondary stakeholder. Now, I remember when I first started out and I got my first job where I interacted with stakeholders, right? Because my first couple of instructional design jobs, it wasn't really me meeting with like the C-suite or VPs or uh, having like a series of stakeholders. It was just like, the director of the learning development department, he had to approve. But then when I moved into the role where, you know, I'm the director and so now I have to get the buy-in from the C-level executives and the VPs, I found uh, myself in a new position where they had a lot of demands and requests about turning training around in 35 business days, even though it's 14 modules and so on. And I found myself just saying yes with... <laughs> without knowing how to push back or how to justify like why that was insane. And so what are some of the things that, you know, on the other side of the table, you know, just from the instructional designer point of view, when working with those stakeholders and just maybe like not feeling the fear and, but how can they work with them and, and have a real open dialogue without being intimidated by their position and, and then also, you know, your role as an instructional designer. So you're probably going to laugh or not be surprised, but I'm going back to that first conversation that we have where we're setting expectations and deciding how we want to work together. And, you know, I think that's where you can start to define some of those boundaries and, and establish exactly what they want to have happen and set their expectation because they don't, a lot of times folks in a stakeholder position don't understand. And sometimes no offense, they don't care how it gets developed and this, the process that an instructional designer is following. They just want to make sure that they get a completed training project that's going to meet their objectives in the time that they needed it on the budget that they agreed to and that it's effective and it does what it was supposed to. It does really just go back to the beginning and being able to explain as much as they're willing to hear of what you'll need from them. And again, going back to the communication of the style of the emails, just making it as concise and clear as you can in that conversation. You know, don't be intimidated, be confident, and position your process and what you're going to need from them as being for them to aid in the success of their project, to ensure their satisfaction. And a lot of times I find that when they understand why you need that from them, there's less likely to be pushback or them not meeting because they already know why it's important and they understand the consequence of it. So that's the other piece. Not only do they need to understand what they're willing to hear about the process and what that means for them, but the consequence of not getting something back to you when they had agreed upon 
you know, that, that does put you behind, that you can't always make up that extra time and still deliver the quality of work that you're committed to delivering for them. And I've also had uh, experience with stakeholders where they say, we don't want this to take, you know, months to build. We just want you to build a series of PowerPoints and roll it out via webinar. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yes, we, we certainly do come across that sometimes, don't we? <laughs> uh, yes. And the challenge with that sometimes is not judging and not um, holding it against them that that's what they need. You know, they're willing to pay for that. And if that's what they want and what works for their organization, we are somewhat obligated to deliver, you know, or very obligated probably <laughs> to deliver exactly <laughs> what it is that they ask for. Um, gosh, that's a hard one though, because I'm judgy. I'm super judgmental about that. I'm like, why would you do it that way when you could just you could do such a better job and it not actually take more time. But the fact is a lot of businesses right now, um, and especially in my experience, sales organizations, they just move at a breakneck speed. And yeah, they, sometimes you have to get things out quick and dirty depending on, and that's probably not language you want to use on your podcast. No, it's fine. Or maybe. (laughs) We're all adults. (laughs) But yeah, no, I mean, sometimes quick and dirty is what you got to do. And I don't even know what to say other than just try not to judge yourself too harshly. And the main thing to judge yourself on is, is the client happy with what they got? Does it meet their needs? Well, it's just such a different perspective from an instructional designer because we think about, well, what's the point of getting it out quickly if nobody's going to remember what you had to say or pay attention to your webinar or like change the behaviors or implement the new tasks that you've uh, decided that they need to learn and accomplish in their role. Yeah, and it's symptomatic of uh, a check-the-box mentality that is not uncommon in companies where the learning and development function is still being kind of built out, uh, so to speak. So because that's in those cases, that's how they're used to getting by, too. It's just, hey, we did it ourselves, and this worked just fine. It got it done. It's unfortunate. They just don't know how much better it could be with, in some ways, less effort on their part, maybe an extra day or two. So what if they wanted to have that conversation? What if they felt comfortable with their stakeholders and they wanted to present something that might take a little more time but would deliver better results? What are kind of some tips that you would give about opening that conversation up instead of just being an order taker? Oh, goodness. Since I work so closely with sellers now, this is super fresh because we talk about this in the way that they sell with clients. And it's, it's really, don't hate me. It's that first meeting. It's, it's getting those objectives. And when you want to relate a better approach, being able to relate what you're recommending instead of what they're asking for back to their objectives. Same thing with the reasons why perhaps what they're asking for might not actually meet their objectives. It's really about helping them actually come to the conclusion on their own in some ways that, oh wait, maybe that isn't the best route. So asking powerful questions on the front end like you would hopefully do anyways, which is, you know, let's say that we have delivered your training project, everybody's taken the training, they all know exactly what you needed them to know, how did we get there? And let them, you know, how did that happen? Let them tell you some of those things. Because 
if, especially if they're telling you from like a perfect world standpoint, chances are they're going to sell themselves on whatever your recommendations are going to be because you've already taken them down that path. Yeah, that's right. And some I just found in my own personal experience, a lot of the things that uh, worked for me is first of all, but even before the first meeting is looking at that training intake form or that email that initiated the conversation and really kind of doing some legwork and some homework before you even get to that first meeting because you don't know like exactly what they're going to throw at you at that first meeting about, oh, well, we just want it to be, you know, we want it to be turned around next week or whatever kind of expectations they are going to have. And so you almost need to have a plan and a justification, but you don't want to present that at first. Instead, when right. exactly, right? Instead, when they say, oh, I want, you know, this, that, and the other, and I want it done next week, you say, oh, yeah, you know, I can understand uh, your need for this to be done quickly. Uh, and I, I see where you're coming from. And in my experience, I've, I've actually done something like that before. And this is what uh, the result was. And so sometimes if you can just tell them, well, what, what that would look like if you follow down that path, just kind of like what you said, Melanie, but like even more strategically, just let them follow out the, you know, the, the conclusion of their logic. And then that's also another way of just like letting it be their idea. But then also, like you said, sometimes it's not even worth the fight. I mean, that's what you want, then that's what you're going to get. <laughs> it's a hard call. I mean, it's like, because do you want to turn money away? Because they are asking you to build them something that might not work. I mean, it's, it kind of goes back to just building your own business in general. You know, if I want to pay you to give me uh, something that you know may not work for me, but I'm satisfied it's going to meet my needs. I'm going to love it. Who are you to say that I can't have that? Yeah. Well, you know, people have certain ideas and, and needs and we all come to the table with like preconceptions about especially, you know, training and learning and development and uh, even like how long that process takes, right? A lot of people think, oh, you're just going to like put PowerPoints together. Like, why is that going to take so long? I can whip one of those out real quick. Oh God. Yeah. I cannot, I cannot stand when people do that, but, um, but true. It, it happens. It does. And, and it, the important thing to remember in those cases, myself included needing to remember this is that that that's not personal, that's perception and it has nothing to do with you. So it, definitely don't let stuff like that offend you. And, and Robin, like you said, you know, obviously that intake form is the best resource to start with and that's going to help you drive what questions you might want to ask them to dig deeper into what it is they're trying to accomplish which is going to in turn give you one more information to create a better plan for how you're going to deliver what they want but also starts to build that that bank of of reasons why the client should consider be an alternative option that you want to present to them if you think that's the right course to continue pressing forward with. And since you've uh, brought it up, what do you think are some of the best questions that, you know, instructional designer can come to the stakeholder meeting with? Like just like general questions, because we want to give them something, you know, actionable that they can take away. So I think understanding that organization, whoever the end user is that's going to be receiving the training, understanding as much as possible about that. So just 
even asking, starting with a broad question, what can you tell me about your intended audience, insert their name here. Um, I think that's a great starting point. Open-ended questions in general are going to be very helpful, um, not only in getting the information that you need from the client so that you can you know, prepare your project and, and your plan accordingly, but also just in establishing the rapport and, and kind of building the, the foundation of the relationship with the client. Um, where they're comfortable talking with you. Ultimately, you know, asking questions about you know, what the perfect outcome might be for them um, at the conclusion of this training, I think that's a, another great one. It's, it's so broad that they really, they have to think and, and hopefully are gonna give you uh, what's going to be the most important. And sometimes they'll give you something that's as simple as, we just wanna sell 15% more of this particular product by increasing the sales skills our people have around it. So. I think questions about that. Yeah, budget, timeline. Budget, timeline, um, any perceived risks to the timeline. You know, sometimes as a stakeholder, you know that the date you're pushing for for the training is like your stretch date. Like that's the, the latest, you know, or the, the, the soonest that you could possibly get it done and that's when they want it. Um, but sometimes there's a risk that, hey, it's actually not going to deploy until a week after that. So just fully understanding the different factors of the timeline. Right. Because there's a, there's a timeline where like you might think, oh, it has to be done on this date. But what you have to include in your timeline is not just like when it's supposed to be done, but you have to include the stakeholder approvals. Uh, maybe you need to and all the reviews, yeah. Uh, maybe you need to put it in front of some like beta learners to make sure that like it's effective or like there's, you know, do some kind of QA on your course and training before yeah. you actually roll it out. And then you got to market your course like, you know, like you're a marketing agency to get them to be interested in it in the first place. And that could take another week. Yeah. And that's another great point because, you know, part of the questions that, that do need to be asked, is this something that's going to be delivered, you know, on an ongoing basis or is this just a one-time initiative? We're just pushing it out and getting it done. Honestly, when you think about the business world and generating revenue for an instructional designer, I'd want to know, you know, what type of updates might you guys need to this? Because that could be potentially repeat business or small edit work, you know, that could also contribute to your bottom line as an instructional designer. Yeah. And it's also important to ask that question, is this going to meet, need to be updated regularly? Because you will build a course differently if you know that there's going to have to be changes to the core material than if it's just going to be like a foundational course or module or program. Um, those builds are very different. So that's a good point too. Yeah, well, you probably talk about this too. The other one that you just made me think of, you know, how many different audiences will be utilizing this training? And are there any variations that are going to be necessary in the training to accommodate each audience? Because you throw that in with ongoing updates, plus across multiple audiences, and, and that's a lot of work in your future, which is a good thing. Right. And, you know, a lot of who we are talking about are not even people who are freelancers, but they are, you know, they have a corporate training job. And so what I really like about what you've, you kind of switch from saying stakeholder to client, but even if you're inside a company and you're working for that company and then your stakeholders are in within your own organization, that you should absolutely treat them as if 
they were your clients. And so I really like how you uh, flipped back and forth between stakeholder and client. Thank you for calling that out because I definitely use both interchangeably. Um, you'll also hear me sometimes refer to them as partners too because it truly is a partnership uh, between you and the stakeholder and the project champion and the subject matter expert. They're you know, all important parts to you know, the successful execution of any project. And there's one more thing I want to touch on before we you know, get to our, our last part of our, of our uh, episode. And that is there are there are some times when as an instructional designer, you have, you thought you asked all the right questions. You thought you got reviews and uh, you know, you've passed a couple of the reviews and the checkbook, uh, the check marks or whatever, and the milestones. And then you get to the part where they see, maybe it's like, maybe you're building an e-learning course, right? And they see what you have built and they come back with a lot of feedback. They don't like these graphics. They don't like your color scheme. They don't like whatever it is. I mean, it could even be something, you know, something major, right? Like, oh, you totally missed it here. What are just, I mean, from your coat, put on your coach's hat, but also like as a, a stakeholder and then, you know, you've, you've been in the learning and development department. What are kind of some things that you would tell somebody who's received some feedback that is, you know, that feels negative and critical. How, what's some of the best things they could think about or how they can respond or what's your advice for that? I think remembering that it's not personal, it's perspective. You know, they see things, your client, your stakeholder, they're going to see things a certain way. They're going to have a, a vision for the project. And you, like you pointed out, you can do an excellent job of you know, capturing all that information and feel like you really have a good handle on it and come back. And then you spend, you know, all that time putting it together, you're probably a little attached to the work, the work that you've done. So, you know, being able to detach yourself from the work and know that it's, you know, it's not personal to you. It's, it doesn't meet the needs of that client. I think that's the first big step because once we kind of let go of our own ego and, and stop looking at critical feedback as um, a, a criticism of our, our person, it makes it a lot easier to just focus on what the client is saying and, and digging into the business of making the edits or having some healthy discussion with the client on, you know, okay, great. Tell me, help me understand where you're coming from there and, you know, asking for more context. And just, I think at that point, once, once you can remove the attachment from that criticism and actually hear it for what it is. You've just got to remember it's a business decision. They are a business. They, they want a certain outcome with the project. And like any customer and, or client and, and somebody providing a service, it's, it's our responsibility as that service provider to, to meet those needs of our client without letting ourselves, you know, without a bunch of attitude or, God forbid, tears or, or anything like that happening in that exchange. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, and I've had experience where, like, you brought up tears and you brought up attitude and I've seen it happen. And I've even, you know, in, in the beginning felt it in my own, you know, like my face get red. You know, do you spend all this time creating something and then uh, you hear that they want to change everything that you've done? 
And what it really like, you know, why we bring up, you know, stakeholder meetings and how important the review process is, is that a lot of what came up as far as the criticisms, one, could have been avoided if I would have done some kind of prototyping or like graphic designers, sometimes they give like, here's A and B option as far as the design aesthetics go and they'll like build out a slide for them or something like that or some interactions. Um, one, that could have like helped. But two, um, it was like in the actual meeting when you hear it, just take feedback as a gift and that took me a little bit to get and so uh, if you can learn that early as an instructional designer that feedback truly is a gift and it's not personal and you're only going to make the learning better and you're only going to make the client happier if you can just take it as a gift and just say uh-huh and even if you disagree even if you decide not to make those changes right say it's like the timelines too short and it'd be crazy to go back and uh, switch out all the graphics or whatever even if you're not going to make the changes just acknowledge what they've said and say yes okay great thank you so much for that seriously just acknowledge it and just take it and no tears and no attitude that is excellent I'm glad to yeah. that up. I mean, that's, that's kind of straightforward and I, I feel like obvious, but you know, one of the other things that you made me think of right there and don't laugh, but yeah, that first conversation that you're having that with that stakeholder, you could go ahead and say, Hey, throughout this process, you know, we may have, you know, a difference in how we see things. How open are you to hearing, you know, why I might be making a recommendation over, over something you're requesting? Are you open at all to hearing that? And that way, you know, right up front, whether or not that's, you know, a, a conversation you're going to have to have. And, and they, they also are prepared that you could have those conversations. So that's another way to address, you know, the, if you disagree with your stakeholder, if you've addressed how you guys might disagree as you work together, when you're setting expectations and kind of designing how you'll work together, that can make that whole experience a lot easier to navigate as well. Melody, this is time for our final and best tips about working with stakeholders. So just think about like when you've had the best experience with, uh, you know, instructional designer, a training developer, whatever you want to call them. Think about that experience and tell our listeners what are those things that that instructional designer did that made it fantastic, easy to work with them, and then they produced great results. Again, the communication was, that was one of the things and one of the best experiences that I've had. You know, clear communication was a critical factor in that. Like I always knew what was next, what was due, when, and I also knew who else involved maybe didn't get what they needed. And so in the example I am thinking of, I was both the stakeholder and acting champion as well. And um, just having all for us, we had a very tight timeline. So we'd agreed early on that we were going to be connecting on essentially a daily basis uh, because there were so many people involved in the review process. And every day, like I had my email, I knew who had seen it, who had signed off and who was looking at it. And, and when we'd anticipate getting feedback from each person, and then also just sticking to the schedule and being proactive in identifying risks and holdups. They spotted uh, an opportunity to um, add additional content or an additional point around a certain topic. And 
we found out about it in time in order to actually make that change without drastic impacts to the development timeline, because thankfully it was a small addition. I think really it's, it's the communication and the clarity, and then also having kind of clean and easy to use resources through it um, throughout the process. Yeah, talk more about those resources. What kind of resources have you seen that really helped move things uh, along and made things clear and your role clear? I think a lot of times it was just, it was the layout of the way that they were communicating. Uh, you know, I would get emails that had like a table showing like things that were completed were dark, but you could still see what they were. It was just very aesthetically and visually to read. Because if you think back to, you know, what we talked about earlier in terms of stakeholders, one, they're juggling a ton of different things in a lot of cases. There's a lot of people, you know, sending them emails and, and reaching out to them. And so the easier it is for them to, to tune into what you're sharing, see what they need to see and and understand what it is that you need from them if you need something at that point in time so that they can act on it and deliver it and move on to the next thing that they have on their plate or the next meeting, uh, the, the better it is because it's easier for your client to do business with you and to work with you. And, and ultimately, it's about creating strong communication and making it easy to work with you. These are all excellent tips, Millie. And I just like want to say the last thing, which is, yes, make it easy for your stakeholders to work with you. So don't send emails that like have a big, long set of questions where it is a burden, a burden for them to answer your email. Just like uh, even in like the online marketing world, just give them a quick ask, a one, a one button thing that they can push. Include a poll in your email. Include just like a one question at a time. And that will get you a lot further than sending everything to them all at once and expecting your stakeholder to keep up with, their, with the project timeline. That's your job. Right. Well, and also, if you've had a, a productive initial meeting, you've hopefully also established how frequently do they want to, to meet or under what situations would they say a meeting was probably better than trying to do it via email. Because they may say, if you have, you know, 20 questions you need to ask us about something, let's just put a 30-minute meeting on the calendar and get it done. Yeah. Or maybe there's already a weekly check-in, and they may want you to hold certain things until you get to that weekly project check-in. That's perfect. This has been so good, Melanie. I know that everybody's going to find huge amount of value of just like hearing from an actual stakeholder in the corporate environment, what's kind of expected and uh, how they are their clients really uh, whenever they are producing training. Yes, we always think it's the learner, but there are other people like the stakeholders and the account champions or the project champions who hold the purse strings and the timeline and the resources. And these people are important to us. Absolutely. I would argue that possibly the people holding your purse strings are maybe the most important. Although the learner is absolutely a very close, close second. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, Melanie. I really, really, really appreciate you. You are so welcome, Robin. It's been wonderful catching up with you and hopefully sharing some useful knowledge with your learners. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. You can also download a freebie about how to work with stakeholders based on my conversation with Melanie in the show notes for this episode, idlecourses.com forward slash stakeholders. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first job 
early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, paid instructional design experience opportunities, and a friendly community to network with. Get on the wait list by going to, you guessed it, idlecourses.com. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.